The common message is very, very simple. We live in a world today that is crazy and we need to make some changes in the world. But before you can change the world, you've got to change yourself. You've got to start with yourself. You can't change the world unless you yourself have to do that change first. Welcome to Hope to Recharge podcast. Thank you for joining me here again today. Every week we meet here to break the stigma around mental health and to bring you insight and inspiration and lots of practical tips from personal stories or professionals around the world that share how they turn their journey of mental health into healing or to thriving. Together we will break the stigma one story at a time. In mental health together is always better. Thank you for joining me here today. I'm your host, Matana. Let's get started. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp.com, the leading online platform for therapy. You can access thousands of therapists one click away. Go check out BetterHelp.com forward slash hope to recharge. Get 10% off your first month. Start your wellness now. In this episode of the Hope to Recharge podcast, we welcome Ari Schoenbrunn. Ari was an employee at Cantor Fitzgerald, the Wall Street firm that occupied the top five floors of Tower One in the World Trade Center. He was on the 78th floor changing elevators when the first plane hit the tower. In the midst of the smoke and chaos, Ari found a fellow employee who was terribly burned, needed his help, and helped her walk down the 78 flights of stairs. Of the 662 Cantor employees on the upper floors in the World Trade Center that day, only four survived. Ari believes God was looking out for him that day. There were many large and small miracles, and if anything Ari knows is how that day ended up being a day of rebirth. Before 9-11, Ari was focused on all the wrong things. He cared about his job. He lost sight of what matters most in life. And after 9-11, Ari changed his life by putting his family first, volunteering, giving back to the community, and by speaking to groups of people around the country. Ari has been sharing and retelling his story worldwide to audiences since that day. And after repeated requests and testimonials to the power of his message, he decided to write a book. Miracles and Fate on 78 reveals the power of creating meaningful connections to transcend the differences that often polarize and divide us from one another. This special episode that focuses on the horrific events that transpired on 9-11 is a lesson in perseverance and rebuilding after catastrophe and not allowing challenging events to hold us back from moving forward. The Hope to Recharge podcast will be taking a break for the next couple of weeks and will resume recording in October. And now, the host for the Hope to Recharge podcast, Matana. Hello, everybody. Thank you for joining me here again today. We are giving a little segment in honor of the 20 years of 9-11 to 9-11, 20 years. And when I'm saying it, I'm actually shocked that it's 20 years. Today, I have a special guest that's going to share his personal story of surviving the 9-11 attack and what it was life before in the day of, after, I would even say a few years after the first year, then a few years later, then a decade later, then 20 years later. What has changed? How did life evolve? I don't know the full story. I heard very small bits and pieces about it. It all started when somebody asked me if I could speak at a school dinner like six weeks later, six weeks after 9-11. Wow. Yeah. They turned their whole theme into, into 9-11. They had three people. It was supposed to be a panel with a Q&A from the audience. And it turned out that each of us had to speak for like 15, 20 minutes. And I spoke for about 15 or 20 minutes. And then the next day, the Dean of the school calls me up and asks me if I would talk to the high school kids, which I did. And then some kid 
taped it and his mom listened to it. She worked for a, a, a nonprofit and she called me and she said they're having their annual tea and would I speak? And, right. and then it just one thing led to the other. But I was always doing it part time because right. I actually worked for a living. About four and a half years ago, I actually left Wall Street. I finally left Wall Street. I started doing this full time, which was great until COVID hit. And when COVID hit, my income went from whatever it was mm. down to zero because there were no more conferences. There was no, you know, nobody was doing live things. Nobody needed speakers. At that point, I started my podcast and I started a, what's called Whispers and Bricks, by the way, that's the name of the podcast, Whispers and Bricks. And then I started the Whispers and Bricks Academy, which is a coaching business where I help people with uh, life coaching. Like adversity taking their adversity and working through it. Correct. And seeing their, the, the bricks that are in the way, removing the bricks, right? And, it's, and I guess it's finding the whispers within the bricks that they put in front of them? Not exactly. The, the reason it's called Whispers and Bricks, it's because of a story that I tell at the end of my talk. You know, the whispers are, you know, what God talks to us when he talks to our minds and he talks to our hearts. He whispers those things, all mm -hmm. right? Every, you know, every so often you get a premonition or you think about something, right? Maybe I should do that. You know, maybe you do and maybe you don't. But those are God's whispers to you telling you what you should really be doing. And most of us very often don't listen to it. And part of the reason they don't listen to it is because they're so busy running through life that they don't have time to listen to those things, right? Mm -hmm. They just figure, you know, I, I got, you know, I don't have time to, to think about that. I've got a family. I've got to do, you know, somebody thinks whisper after whisper happens. And finally, God says, you know what? I've given you all the whispers I'm going to give you. And then all of a sudden, out of the clear blue, he hits you with a brick to wake you up. Wow. And he goes, wake up. Boom. Wow. You know? Wow. Now, my brick was 9-11. Right. I mean, that was the brick that I got hit with. Okay. That, that was one of your biggest bricks, we would say, right? That was my biggest brick in life. Right. But you had many little pebbles and then stones. But then there was a brick, like the Western wall brick, right? That like, you're just like, okay, I can't even move it. It's so big. Right. First, I want to hear what you were beforehand. Like, give me a little background. How many kids were you married? How many children do you have? Where did you live? What company did you work for? How many years were you there? All that before 9-11 hit. I want to hear a little bit about that. Uh, it's not that exciting a life that I had. I basically had two jobs my whole life. All right. I worked for a, um, an Israeli bank for 10 years. Hmm. Um, then I did a short stint at a commodity trading company for about two years. And then I went to work for a company by the name of Cantor Fitzgerald. Hmm. And I worked there for 23 plus years. And that's where you were working during 9-11. That's where I was working during 9-11, right. Hmm. I'm married. I have five children. Four of them are married. One of them is 17 years old in high school, mm -hmm. finishing his senior year in high school. I can't wait. I've got several grandchildren. Beautiful. Yes. What was your position there? So my position was when I started at Canner, I ran a, a department called the Business Administration Department. We basically monitored uh, all the expenses of the firm. Mm -hmm. So if the firm was spending money on, let's say, entertainment, uh, you know, tickets for ball games and whatever you use in order to entertain clients, you know, we were monitoring all of that. Mm -hmm. And I did that for several years. And then CFO of the company, who was the actually the third CFO that had been working there since I started. Mm -hmm. I started in 1993. And no, I missed the first bombing because people ask me that. 93, were you there for the first bombing? 
No, I missed it because the first bombing was in February of mm. 93 and I started in October of 93. Wow. I lived through three CFOs. When the third CFO showed up, he asked me if I would come into his group because they needed help with their um, accounts receivables. It was like way out of whack and there was they were taking a beating on it. He asked me if I would come and you know, help fix it, which I did. Ultimately, I did. And I did that until 9-11. After 9-11, it was just catch as catch can because we had to rebuild the company. But We'll get we'll to that. Get, exactly. We'll get to that after. We'll get to that okay. later. Okay, right. great. It, was it a nine to five job or was it more like eight to 11 because it was corporate crazy? It was crazy then. I don't think I ever worked nine to five. Yeah. My whole life. Yeah. It just didn't happen. Nine to five to me, that's a civil service job. Right. Okay. Okay. When you're in the corporate world, there's no such thing as nine to five especially if you're looking to climb the ladder. Right, right, oh. right. So yeah, so I was in the office at eight o'clock in the morning. Very often, I, I wouldn't get home till seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, 10, 11 even. So never dinner with a family, never dinner. No. Besides Sundays no. sometimes, if there wasn't like some kind of crunch of something or other that you needed to do. Correct. So Shabbat was your dream. You were Abbas Shabbat, as we call it. Yeah. Right. You come home for for the weekend and yeah. try to catch up. I used to get home about uh, 15 minutes before Shabbat started. Wow. To work long hours. So you want the story. I'm going to lead you into the story. Okay. So your normal day would be get up in the morning. Yeah. Go to synagogue. Correct. And it was Elul. And for the non-Jews that don't know what Elul is, it's the, right, it's the month right before the New Year's, our Jewish New Year's, and there's a special prayer that we say a week before New Year's. So you went to synagogue. Was it early in the morning, like 6 a.m., 5.30? What was your routine? Yeah, it was, it was 5.20. I used to leave my house at 20 to 7. 20 to 7. In the morning, I came home, grabbed my stuff, and I was leaving. I, I usually left the house at about uh, 20 to 7 in the morning, and especially during this time of year, because the Jewish holidays all came out in the middle of the week, Tuesday, Wednesday. Mm -hmm. So Rosh Hashanah, mm -hmm. the Jewish New Year, came out Tuesday and Wednesday, and then Yom Kippur came out on Thursday, and then the Sukkot came out Tuesday, Wednesday. Basically, for the next month, I was going to be working about two days a week. So you had to do extra time, extra shift. Right. I got into the office at, at 8 a.m. And I didn't get home usually during that time till about 11 p.m. Wow. Because I just, I had to finish all my work. Right. I needed to do the work. That morning was no different. Right. It was 20 to 7 in the morning. I had my briefcase over my shoulder. I had my cup of coffee in my hands. I yelled out to my wife, bye, hon, love you, I see ya. And I yelled out to my kids, bye, kids, have a great day in school. And I started to walk out the door. And you go by train. Yes, I took the train. Okay. As I'm walking out the door, my wife yells down to me and she says to me, did you do Baruch's book order? For those that don't know, I learned something very important. Teachers have a wonderful way of torturing parents. It's called the scholastic book order. Yes. Now, if you have kids, you know, you know what that is. And you're nodding right now, right? And you're nodding. Yeah. She said, did you do Baruch's book order? I said, no, I didn't. She goes, you're not leaving the house until you do that book order. You have to understand something. My wife is a school principal. Mm. She runs a special ed department in a girl's yeshiva. She was just mm. opening school and she was doing all the cooking and the cleaning, getting ready for the holidays. Mm -hmm. And she just didn't have the time or patience to work with my son. Mm -hmm. She said to me, you know what? It's your job. You have to do it with him. And I said, okay. The problem was I was also working crazy hours and I just didn't have the time to do it. So I put my briefcase down, put my cup of coffee down, walked into my kitchen to proceed to negotiate with my eight-year-old mm -hmm. for the next 
next 20 minutes. Yeah. I whittled him down to two books. Wow, good for you. Interestingly enough, the two books that he picked were from a series called Survivor. No way. Way. I have goosebumps. Oh my God. When those, when those books showed up two weeks later, oh it was my like God. chills I down ha- my spine. Literally. Wow. Very important. And you're going to see throughout my story, what's really important is a lot of coincidences happened during the course of that day. But when I look back on it, I realized that God was just watching over me the entire day. Because miracle after miracle, let's start with the first one. The book order was actually due on Monday, Mm -hmm. but my son left his pamphlet in school on Friday. So my wife wrote a note to the teacher asking her if he can have an extra day. And she said, of course, and she made sure to put the pamphlet into his knapsack so he would bring it home on Monday. Mm -hmm. If he would have brought that pamphlet home on Friday, I would have done his book order on Sunday. You right now would be interviewing somebody else because you would get to the office. Earlier. I would have been in my office at eight o'clock in the morning and I would be dead. But because he left his pamphlet in school wow. on Friday, I am here today to tell you my story. Wow. Those are the whispers that you speak about, by the way, the little Absolutely. things that we don't, we take for granted. We don't even notice. And sometimes we even get upset about Oh my God, I missed the bus. Oh my God, I missed the train. Oh, and then absolutely. I, I had it today in a parking lot, exactly what you're saying. And I said, we have two choices. Somebody took a spot. And I said, it's not that it was mine and the person took it. God wanted to give it to him. And God's going to give me my spot because that's not my spot. It's just not my spot. Correct. You're right. And when we look at it that way, life is more palatable. It's more pampering. It's also more pampering because you know that it, it was not my spot. Now, it could be very aggravating when you're in a rush to a meeting and you can't find the spot and there's a full parking lot and you can't find. But then you can say, OK, it wasn't meant to be. It's not mine. I'm not going to be angry at that person. Right. I have a different spot. And there's a reason why. Right. You know, that that reminds me of the um, of the guy who's going for a meeting and he's running late and uh, he's looking for a parking spot and can't find one. And he, he finally looks at me and he says, God, please, if you just help me find a spot, you know, I promise I'll I'll turn over a new leaf and I'll do uh, X, Y, Z, whatever it was. And then all of a sudden he sees a spot and he goes, you know what? Never mind. I found the spot. It's sad, but it's so true. That's like the whole dynamic of do we see God in our efforts and do we realize that our efforts are really God leading us, but we're going on a different path now. And, and we're, right, let's, let, let's go down. Let's understand how you got to the office and what happened. That, that 20 minutes cost me 40 because the later mm-hmm. you leave, you know, the worse, the traffic, the worse, everything. Right. And right. so I didn't get to the trade center until 20 minutes to nine mm-hmm. when normally I was there at eight o'clock. Now my office was on the 101st floor. You couldn't get up to the 101st floor with one elevator. In the lobby, there were these huge elevators, express that went to 78. 78 was a sky lobby, and you got off at 78, and then you you the only thing on the floor was were elevators, and you would change to take another elevator that would take you up to the higher floors. So the first elevator that came down was all the way on the right side of the lobby. So I ran down to the end of the lobby and I got into the elevator, get up to the 78th floor. And now the elevator that I need to get to my office is all the way on the left side of the sky lobby. So I got out of the elevator, hung the left and started to walk to the bank of elevators. I must've been about eight feet from those banks of elevators when as best as I can describe, there was an explosion. I thought a bomb had gone off in the elevator. The lights went out, the place filled with smoke, the entire building shook and I was literally thrown off my feet. And I was on the ground and I heard people yelling fire in the elevator. And I'm thinking to myself, of course there's a fire in the elevator, a bomb just went off in there. 
I didn't know. Nobody wow. knew. We had, we had no idea what happened. And black. And all you could say is nothing. You can't see anything. Yeah, it's a lot of smoke. And, you know, we, we didn't know what happened. Remember, I was on the 78th floor. The plane hit 92, 93. So it's 20 floors, like uh, 8 to 17 floors down. Okay, 15 floors above me. I mean, it was right. just, it was, it was a, a, an incredible I mean, to this day, I hear that explosion. Right. So. Um, and it happened that moment, right? The explosion happened as you walked out of the elevator on 78. As I was walking towards the other bank of elevators. Right. Which is what, a set, like three seconds after you walked out of the elevator? No, probably a little more. Probably. I don't know. It was a, you had to walk down the, down, the, uh, down the lobby. Okay. So I didn't know what to do. I'm looking around, trying to find a way out. I, I, I found an office. I opened the door to an office. There was an office there behind the elevator banks, which I never knew existed. Um, there was a guy in there. was the fire warden for the floor. He was the, um, you know, for your listeners who, who may not know, every floor in this big building had a person who was designated as the quote-unquote fire warden. He was basically your go-to guy. If anything was happening emergency right so management would he had a special phone management would call him and i knew he was the fire warden because he had a silly red hat and it said fire warden on it and i knew that because i had the same hat because i was the fire warden for my floor oh, so wow. i ran over to guy and i said to him what do we do where do we go i don't know of course he didn't know he didn't know what happened the only thing we knew is a bomb went off that's all we knew we didn't know anything else how many people are like gathering do you even like do you see people or you have no idea no i really didn't have an idea i wasn't sure um but i went back into the hall to try and fit, find a way out and i bumped into a co-worker of mine her name was virginia di chiara virginia was on the elevator that i was about to get on when the plane hit mm. and as she described it to me the when the plane hit the wall the doors were started to close and they jammed open about a foot the walls of the elevator collapsed the ceiling collapsed, the cable snapped, was sparking in the elevator, the jet fuel came down the sides of the elevator and was ignited by the spark and there was a wall of fire. How did she survive? How did she not die? She jumped through the fire. Well, let me tell you something. There were three people in that elevator. It was Roy Bell, Virginia, and Renee. Roy Bell was the first one to jump through that fire and he suffered second degree burns. Virginia jumped through next. She suffered third degree burns. And Renee, who was the last one out, she died oh. from her burns. Oh my God. So Virginia looks at me, she says to me, Ari, please, whatever you do, help me. And whatever you do, please oh don't God. leave me. Now, here's irony. You ready for this? Oh my God. Virginia and I were not good friends. She was an internal auditor and she had been hired the year before by Canner. And the first department she audited was mine. Oh no. And needless to say, she she wanted to impress her superiors, so she didn't give me very good marks. Oh my god! As a matter of fact, she almost got me fired. Wow! Talk about humanity need to cut, rise to occasion right there, right in split seconds. In split That's seconds, right. you have to be a human and put everything aside. I needed to make a decision. You know, wow. I could have run and said, "You know, the heck with you, lady. I'm staying with my own skin." Wow! But you know what? Here was another human being who was in trouble. And I was the guy that God put there. And literally, I looked at it as a test saying like, okay, what are you going to do? And I did the only thing I knew how to do. And that was, I said to Virginia, I promise I will not leave you and we will get out of here. Was she bleeding? What did, like, what, what did she look oh, like? Oh, she had third degree burns. Her, her clothes were burned. Her hair was singed. Oh my she God. had this, I mean, she had third degree burns up and down her arm. She was a mess. She was an absolute mess. You know, she couldn't, we, I took her into the office to, you know, before we figured out where we were going to go. And I literally gave her a cup of a plastic cup of water. She couldn't hold the cup. Right. All right. Cause her hands were so badly burned. It was unbelievable. 
how did you have a second to stop and go into an office? Why didn't you, why were you not running at that point? Why were you not escaping? Like just saying, let's just run. Cause you had no idea what was going on. Where should I run? You got to remember something. This is a floor. The only thing I knew about this floor were elevators. I didn't know anything about stairwells or staircases. I didn't even know if there was a stairwell or a staircase until finally the, the, the fire warden said, okay, we can get out stairwell on the left. Okay. And when I walk and we walked out and then that's, that was the first time I actually looked up and I saw exit signs. And by the way, I look for those signs every time I walk into a big building, because I never know what it made save my life because certainly did that day. So we went out. Now here's the interesting point. We, um, we found the, we found the stairwell. And um, I looked inside and I saw there were lights on in the stairwell. Now, the lights had gone out when the plane hit, so I figured they're probably emergency lights. So I turned, there were, there were about six, it was, it was the fire warden, myself, Virginia, and Roy Bell, and about six or eight other people that were with us. And I saw the lights. I figured they're emergency lights. So I turned around to the people behind me. I said, does anybody have a flashlight? Thinking, I don't know how long the emergency lights are going to stay on. And if they, if they go out, remember, it's in the middle of the building, no windows or anything, it's going to be pitch black. So I said, does anybody have a flashlight? And believe it or not, two people turned around and go like, yeah, we got a flashlight. No way. Wait. And I remember thinking to myself, who the heck? Where did you get a flashlight from and why are you carrying it? You know, it was just like, but I didn't care. I said, listen, folks, if the lights go out, nobody panic. We will have light. At this point, you still don't know what went on. You think that just a, a elevator exploded from mal malfunction, not because something major went on. No, well, I thought a bomb had gone off. A bomb, a bomb, okay. Right. I mean, just like in, in 93, a bomb right. it was a bomb, right? right? right. So that's okay. what I thought. I thought okay. it was about, you know, it was a bomb. Um, we started to head down. Oh, the next thing I did was I looked at Virginia's feet and I said, thank God she's wearing flats because there were high-heeled shoes in that stairwell all the way down. Wow. Women had just kicked them off to get down as fast right. as they could. Right. So we started to head down. We got down three flights. We got down to the, to the 75th floor. When, as far as I'm concerned, one of the biggest miracles of the day happened, other than the fact that I wasn't killed when the plane hit, my cell phone rang. Now, most people think, so what? Well, back then, and in that building, you could never, ever get signal. Wow. I remember standing up in my office by my window going, hello, can you hear me now? Can you, right. can you hear? Remember that commercial? Can you right. hear me now? Yeah, right. Yeah. They filmed it in my office, okay? Because oh. you can never, never get signal. And all of a sudden, on this day, I'm in the middle of the stairwell, in the middle of the building, and my phone rang. I picked up. I went, hello? It was my wife on the right. other end of that phone. Oh, and she's telling you and you don't even know what happened. She oh. was crying and she was telling me something about a plane going into the building. I had no idea what she was talking about. I said to her, Joyce, I'm in a stairwell. I'm on the 75th floor. I'm on my way down. Now is not a good time. I said, I'll call you when I get out of the building and I hung up the phone. And you had no idea that she's calling to tell you what, what to see that you're alive from what she's about to tell you. Correct. Oh, oh my. We walked down 78 flights of stairs and the fire warden was leading us the whole way. And when we got down on the first floor, he kept going down. And I said, where are you going? This is the first floor. He goes, we have to get out through the garage. So I turned to Virginia and I said, we just went down 78 flights of stairs. What's another four or five? And we continue to go down. We got down two flights, two more flights. Was she able to walk? She, yeah, she was able to walk. She had no choice. Right. You know, there was a point in time where she said, Ari, I can't go on. I can't, I can't do it anymore. And I, and I told her, no, 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 you can do this. All right. Because if she was going to stop and, and lay down, whatever it is, she was going to die. I mean, mm -hmm. I, there was no doubt in my mind. So mm -hmm. I needed her to keep moving. Right. Um, so we got down two flights. 
And all of a sudden, the door on the first floor opens up, and some guy yells out, where are you people going? So I yelled back, we're going out through the garage. They said, no, no, you can't get out through the garage. You have to come back up here and come out through the first floor. So I turned to Virginia. I said, we got to go back up two flights. At that point, she said a few things that I can't say in mixed company Mm -hmm. or in any company. Mm -hmm. And we headed back. Now, here's the interesting thing. Who was the guy who opened the door? I have no idea because I never saw him. I only heard a voice. And why did he pick that moment to open the door? I don't know. But that guy saved our lives that day. Why? Because what I found out later was there were people in that garage that never got out. Wow. How long did it take you to go down the entire, like, is it 10 minutes, five minutes? No idea. Time for me had stopped. The first time I looked at my watch after it was the 20 to nine, when I saw it was 20 to nine, the next time I looked at my watch, it was a quarter to one in the afternoon. Wow. Cause you were running. Cause I was just doing, yeah, walking, running, moving. You know, I was just, and um, so I have no idea about time at all, but we got out of the building. I told the cop out a burn victim. He said, go across the street in front of the Millennium Hotel, setting up a triage center. And he said, ambulance will be there. And sure enough, I brought her across the street and ambulance pulls up. We get her into the ambulance and I breathe a sigh of relief because up until now, the only thing I can do is keep her spirits up, but I couldn't help her medically. Mm-hmm. Now she's finally getting medical attention. I breathe a sigh of relief. I step out of the ambulance. I turn around, look up at the buildings, turn to a guy who was standing next to me. I said, how did building two get on fire? So you still don't know what happened. You still have no clue. You think no. it's a, a bomb that went up uh, uh, on the, the bomb, top right. floor. And I knew that I, I knew why our building was on fire because a bomb went off in the building. That's why there was a fire in our building. Right. But how did the fire get to the other building? I thought literally, I thought the wind had blown the fire from one building to the next. That's what I thought. And I said to him, how did building two get on fire? The guy looks at me and says, me, are you kidding? Two jetliners went into the buildings. They're calling it a terrorist attack. I look at him like he's crazy. What are you talking about? Now I'm running scared. I mean, before it was just a bomb in the building. Okay. You know? Wow. You know, I was really running scared. I was trying, you know, Virginia asked me to get a hold of her mom and, you know, the cell phone wasn't working. I couldn't get a hold of anybody. But then it dawned on me that she's sitting in in that ambulance and they're sitting there. They're not going anywhere. So I turned to the driver. I said, why aren't you leaving? You know, this poor girl, she's suffering terribly. And he said, we can't leave until we fill the ambulance. See, we're expecting a huge amount of casualties. So we were told that we can't leave unless we have like six, seven, eight people in the ambulance. They wouldn't let Virginia lay down because they needed room for the other people. So people weren't running crazy yet. It was still the calm before the storm. No, people were running. Cops were telling everybody uptown, uptown. Because remember, there's a fire raging right there. You know, right. stuff, is, stuff is still falling out the windows. Okay. You know, so they tried to, to push everybody. So they finally filled the ambulance and the guy goes, okay, we're ready to go. And all of a sudden, Virginia turns to me, she says to me, Ari, you're coming with us. Now, I don't want to say I was in a comfort zone because of what was going on, but the reality is I knew where I was. If I needed to get someplace else, I would know how to do that because I knew where I was. I knew, you know, how to come and go. The thought of getting into that ambulance and going to God knows where didn't excite me. Besides, once she leaves, I'm going back to the building. There's no place else that I'm going other than back to the building. To do what? To look for my friends, to look for coworkers, to help. To go back up? You would go back up? Yeah. How? The same way the fires, the firefighters were going back up. The stairs. You were going to go back into the line Yes, of, of course fire? I was going to go back into the building. Oh, my God. So Virginia says to me, Ari, you're coming with us. I look at her, I said, Virginia, you don't need me anymore. I'm going to get a hold of your mom. She's going to meet you at the hospital. You're going to be okay. That was the mantra, by the way, all the way down the stairs. Mm -hmm. You're going to be okay. 
She turns to the ambulance driver and she says, we're not leaving unless he comes with us. What do you think it was about? She needed the security. Right. She needed someone that she knew by her side. Right. Wow. So uh, the ambulance driver looks at me. I look at him. He finally says to me, okay, hop into the front. And I get into the front and we pull away. We were one of only a few ambulances that actually got away from the scene that day. I have chills. I have chills. I have chills. So if she wouldn't insist, you would be goodbye. I would be dead. Dead. If she wouldn't have insisted that I get into that ambulance, I would have been standing at the base of that building when it came down. I'd be dead. There's no doubt in my mind. None whatsoever. Wow. When did it fall down? How? She thanks me. She thanks me every day for saving her life. And I said, you got it all wrong. Who saved whose life? I'm assuming you're best friends now. We became very good friends. We did become very good friends. Wow. So that was the last you saw of this, the last that you saw of, of the scene. Um, yes and no. It's the last time that I saw it up close because when we got to the hospital, and it's another whole story, but when we got to the hospital and they wouldn't let me stay in the hospital with her because I wasn't a relative, believe it or not, they asked me, who are you? I said, I'm a coworker. She goes, are you a relative? I go, no. They said, you can't stay. You have to leave. And they threw, literally threw me, threw me out of the hospital. I felt so bad for her because, you know, she was using me as a crutch the whole time. Right. I said, Virginia, I got to go. They're not letting me stay, but I promise I'll get a hold of your mom. She's going to meet you here and you're going to be okay. And then I walked out of the, I walked out of the hospital. And when I got out, all of a sudden I heard somebody go, wow, did you hear tower two collapse? Oh my God. Oh my God. Oh my God. And from St. Vincent's hospital, which was on 12th street and seventh Avenue, you had a clear view straight down to the trade center and tower two was gone. All you saw was tower one. Now, when I saw that, I had a pit in my stomach like you wouldn't believe. I was so scared. What do you do then? You just fall on the floor and collapse, like literally collapse. No. How can I collapse? I've got, it's survival. Where am I collapsing? What happened was I needed a phone, right? I had to call my wife. I had to call her mom. So, you know, I was, you know, I was looking for a pay phone. That was the funniest thing. Where was your phone? Wait, your phone was working in the towers. The phone was dead. Oh, I didn't, I didn't, I forgot to tell you that part. The phone rang when I was in the stairwell, right? And after I hung up, Roy Bell said to me, oh my God, you got signal on your phone. Can I use your phone to call my wife? I said, of course. I handed him my phone. He dialed. He had said nothing. Dead. Wow. I literally looked up and I said, thank you, God. Because at that point, at least I knew that my wife knew that I was alive. But then she didn't know afterwards because she's, you never called to say the building collapsed. She doesn't hear from you. Your phone is dead. She's thinking, oh my God, Ari's gone. Ari's gone. I'm dead. Uh Uh-huh. She lived through this twice. Oh my God. So you're like, oh, oh, oh my God. I must call my wife. I must find a payphone. What time is it by now? Like, give me a time frame. Two hours later, three <sighs> hours, one hour, 20. No, I don't know. I keep telling no you, clue. I don't know. No clue. All I know is that I went into a restaurant figuring they have a phone. They wouldn't let me use the phone. Or they would said I have to wait for whatever. They knew that, did they know what was going on in this restaurant? They knew that the, Twin Towers collapse? Look, I don't know who knew what. All I know is, I think they must have known. I mean, how can they not know? But um, there were two guys sitting there and they were eating, I don't know, breakfast, lunch. I, again, I had no idea because I had no idea what time it is. And um, a guy says to me, you know, my apartment's five doors down. You can come to my apartment and use my phone. And I'll never forget this. I was really scared. Right. Because this is New York City. Exactly. People don't just invite you up to use their phone in their apartments, right? And I'm thinking like... Axe murderer? And I'm going like, but I was desperate. And I said, uh, yeah, thank you so much. We went up to his apartment. I actually got a hold of my wife finally. 
Tara wanted collapse. She was crying. Wow. She probably didn't believe that she's hearing your voice. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Then it was it was a day of going from office to office. I finally I finally wound up going to my brother's office up on 47th Street and 6th Avenue. Then we had to decide what we were going to do and where we were going to go. We heard there was limited subway service at that point in time. So we went downstairs and sure enough, there was, it was, um, I think the F train was running. So we took the F train. My brother wanted to take the E train to Penn Station. Uh, not to Penn Station. Yeah, he wanted to take the E train to Jamaica and then try and get a railroad. And I said to him, he's crazy because it'll be a mob scene because everybody's going to be trying to get out. So, but anyway, the E train never came, but the F train came. We got on the F train and we, we went out to uh, Queens, to Kew Gardens, where my mother-in-law was living at the time. It was funny because I, I had a friend of mine who owned a car service. And, and while this was going on during the course of the day, when I was calling different people from different offices, I called her and said, I know you can't send a car to get me in the city, but if I get out of the city, can you send me a car to take me home? And she said, of course, no problem. She gave me a special phone number, whatever. So we got to Queens. I called my mother-in-law and told her that we were downstairs from her apartment building because, first of all, I needed a familiar address for the car to pick us up. I didn't want to go upstairs in case the car shows up. But, you know, when the car shows up and then decides to leave, I'm, you know, not in good shape. So my mother-in-law came down with uh, two glasses and a pitcher of water for me and my brother. It was, like, really, really sweet. Ultimately, the car came. We got to my house, my brother, oh, our, our cell phones were working. And my brother called his wife to, to let, tell her to meet us at my house. When I got to my house, there were 20 people in my living room and I had no less than 100 phone messages. And I know that because back then it wasn't, it wasn't digital, it was the little, those little micro cassette tapes. Remember those? Yes. I still have it. Wow. I have nothing to play it on, but I still have it. Wow. And I learned something very important that day. You have no idea how many friends you really have until they all think you're dead. I thought you were just telling me something inspiring right now. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. So you came home. That was the shortest, like, day in the office. Like, you didn't even make it into the office. Right. I didn't get home until I got home at 530. Wow. The whole day to get home. It was a whole day, yeah. The whole day to get Yeah. And you already heard that the second tower fell. Well, yeah. I mean, again, while I, when I was, went to that guy's apartment and I spoke to her, at that point, I knew the second tower had come down. Well, the first tower had come down. How many people survived from your office? Do you sometimes feel stuck? Do you wish you can be somewhere else? Do you have a vision of where you want to get to, but you just don't know what the first step to take in order to get to that life that you're dreaming of? Many people ask me, what did I do in order to create this wellness that I'm living in? How did I shift from deep depression, from extreme anxiety to a thriving life, to a productive life, to a life full of joy? I put many things into practice and it's every single day. Many of you know that it's gratitude, a healthy mindset, boundaries, self-love, and one of the most important things that many people don't speak about, forgiveness, self-forgiveness and forgiveness to others, essential for healing. If you want to work one-on-one with me in order to move forward towards that dream life that you have a vision of, click the link below in the show notes. It's a custom-made program for you, one-on-one with me. We will develop a concrete program that you can implement in your life so you can create a better well-being. Click the link below. Looking forward to working with you. 
And now enjoy the rest of the episode. How many people survived from your office? If you were above the plane, you died. So everybody who is in 658 people died from my office. How many? 658. From your office? Yes. We employed 960 people. 600. Two thirds died. Two thirds were killed. Two thirds. So that means they were all in the office early. Yeah. Well, they were brokers, brokers and salespeople. So they come so early. They got into the office uh, 7 o'clock in the morning. Wow. So they they were all dead. Wow. They all died. Did anybody like that? Anybody you know was on the way like you that survived? Yeah, me, Virginia. Yeah. Harry Weiser. He has he has a, an amazing story because he was on he was on the elevator. I don't remember which one. I don't remember if he was in the elevator going up to set to 101 or he was in the elevator going up to 78. I don't I don't remember. But he was very severely burned. His lungs, his his lungs were burned. Wow. He was in an induced coma for six weeks. Wow. Where what wait, how did he get down? I don't know. Miracles. I don't know his whole story. Okay. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So there were other people. So there there, there were only like four or five of us actually on the upper floors that actually got a, got away that day. Unbelievable. So you'll come home. Your mind is racing. You can't even process. Like you're 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 in shock. Literally in shock. You don't know. You you keep on thinking. Okay, who who was in the office? Who died? Who 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 survived? How are we gonna ever know? How are we gonna know? Yeah, we had no idea. We had no idea. It was and it was it was painful. It was painful because we you know we didn't um, back then we didn't have the motive. There wasn't as much communication as there is today. Right. Today, this so, everything is instantaneous. Back then it was email. We wouldn't have camera phones. We didn't have, you know, there were no smartphones. I mean, you know, it just didn't exist. Right, right. So it was, it was a, it was a tedious process. It was a long process. Um, Trying to figure out who was alive. There were a lot of rumors going around. This one's alive. This one's dead. This one's not dead. You know, he's in a hospital. He wasn't. I mean, it was just there was there was a sheet. I had a spreadsheet, an Excel spreadsheet with different columns it was like known to be alive missing known to be dead you know it was just awful yeah it was it was hard it was hard i want to know about your first few days my first few days yeah the first few days after a lot of fun no sleep no i'm kidding i know no sleep correct no sleep and when you're in shock after no sleep you go into like the state of like illusion and 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 like you don't even know who you are you don't know what is real, what is fake. Talk to me about those few first days and how you sort of got through them. Okay. It was, it was, let's start with this. It was about 1130 at night, that night. Everybody left the house. Everybody, everything quieted down. Everything was and my wife looks at me and she says to me, you know, not to be, she goes, I need to be realistic. I said, okay. She goes, are you getting paid on Friday? No. Did she really? Yeah. And I went like, you know, I don't know. She goes, do you need to look for a new job? My office was gone. 11 o'clock, not even the next th- day. Well, neither one of us, neither one of us were going to sleep. Don't be ridiculous. No, I know. But like, I, 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 like, how did she go to practical so fast? Uh, she's very good at that. But we were both, we're both like that. We were both like that. So I didn't sleep that night. My phone rang at 3.30 in the morning. It was, uh, believe it or not. And when the phone rang, Joyce says to me, don't answer it. It could be terrorists. Wow. I mean, 
we were we were very paranoid. Yes. I said, Joyce, don't be ridiculous. Terrorist isn't calling the house. Right. Wow. So I picked up the phone and it was an Israeli radio station that was calling me because they heard that I was in the towers and that I spoke Hebrew and they wanted to know if they could interview me. How did they how did they know that you survived? How did they even know? Okay. So the first question was, I asked them, I said, how did you get my number? They go, oh, we got it from your mom. I go, you got it from my mom? He goes, yeah. Can we interview you? I said, it's 3.30 in the morning. They go, well, not now, but can we call you like in, you know, like at six? And I said, um, I, I, I go to synagogue, okay, at six. So if you want, call me back at 5.30. And they go, okay. And they call me back at 5.30 to interview me. And they interview me. But before that, so right after we hung up the phone, first thing I did was I picked up the phone and I called my mother. And I said, Mom, did you give some guy from a radio station, Israeli radio station, my number? She goes, yeah. I go, what, what? Sheila Harris's son works with this guy in the radio station. And he asked Sheila if she knew anybody who was in the trade center who spoke Hebrew. And Sheila said, I don't. But Sarah Schoenbrunn's son, I think, works in the trade center. Why don't you call his mom? So they called my mother and my mother said, yeah, I'll give you the phone number. She says, but don't call now because it's the middle of the night. So you've got to wait until the morning. And they're Israeli, so they didn't. I went, mom, the guy's sitting on the biggest story of the century and you think he's not going to call me? She goes, well, I told him not to. So the phone, so that was, that was that part, right? The next morning, my kids went to school. My wife went to work. How? Why? School was open. Did it really go on? Life went on. Yeah. Schools were open. My kids went to school. My wife went to work. A lot of people went to work. Right. You didn't sleep. I didn't, yeah. I didn't sleep for a month. When I got up in the morning, right, everybody left. Daddy, you okay? You know, Ari, are you okay? Yeah, yeah, I'm fine. I'm fine. And you're, well, first of all, Ari, you're Mr. Working uh, 15 to 15 hours yeah. a day. And here everybody's yeah. going and, oh, Ari doesn't have a computer at right. home to tap into. There's no office to go. There's no one to call to ask what needs to be done. What does Ari do all day? Right. So after I finish praying, I put the TV on. because I have nothing else to do. Right. And what's on the TV? The tower's collapsing over and right. over and over seeing, again. You keep on seeing and it. I couldn't deal with it. Right. Now, when I woke up in the morning, I had a very bad smoky taste in my mouth. So I called my doctor. All right. Because I wanted to be checked out. And this was really funny. You talk about humanity. I called up and the nurse picks up and I said, hi, uh, my name is Ari Schoenbrunn. Um, I need to see Dr. Marshall. She goes, okay, can you come in next Tuesday at eight? I said, listen, lady, I was in the trade center yesterday. I got a smoky taste in my mouth. Okay. I need to see the doctor. She goes, hold on. She comes back. Can you be here at 11? Thank God. He checked me out. My lungs were fine. He said it was residual smoke. Right. But I called my boss that night and I said, John. Wait, he was alive. He was alive. Not not the CFO, but you know one of the other guys that I work with. How did you find out? You know, I, we were there were calls being made. We had okay. we had you have to remember we back then we had emergency calling. Like I had a list of people, right? If there was an emergency, like this was, I had a list of people that was my job to call them and let them know what's going on or find out, you know, what they know. We know. So there's protocol that was in such a. It was a call list. Yeah, yeah. Every person had a call list, had a little card in my wallet with all the names mm -hmm. and all the phone numbers of, you know, in case something happens. So I was calling all the people. One of the people I called, well, I had my boss's number anyway, so I called up. 
and he was home. I said, you know, what's going on? Where are we working? He goes, well, we only have, we have a disaster recovery site in Rochelle Park, New Jersey, but it's very crowded. There's, there's not a lot of space, whatever. Don't come in. And I said, John, you don't understand. I need to come in. I need to come to work. You needed to distract yourself. He said, okay, so come in. He's the CEO? He was one of those people that ran the accounting department. I ran the, uh, the accounts receivables group. He said, so come in. So the next day I went to work. And the roads were open? I thought tunnels and bridges were clo- lo- closed for weeks. No, I went to where I got to Rochelle Park. It took a long time. It took me three hours to get there, mm. but I got there. Mm-hmm. Literally, we were, we were sitting on folding tables and folding chairs. They jerry-rigged some phones. You know, it was like... Computers? Catch as catch can. We didn't really... I don't know that we had computers. I, I don't remember us having computers at that point. I do remember that one of the guys there took out a big oak tag, big piece of oak tag. Remember, he was an accountant, and he drew a big T on the oak tag. And he wrote on one side, assets. The other side wrote liabilities. And we looked at that piece of paper and go like, all right, now what? Now what? Exactly. We had no idea. Exactly. Now, like, where do you start? Literally ground zero. Like, how do you start recovering? Like, how do you rebuild yeah, the, with, you have a ton of broken people, a ton of broken people, because everybody's right. shattered and everybody's a part of a group, which majority of the group is gone. Right. right. So you're like team, you're a half limb team. And how do you start rebuilding? And you have accounts and you have you have like the clients that are freaking out. Right. Right. So the good thing about Canada was we had a lot of satellite satellite offices around the country. Mm-hmm. We also had a very big office in London. Mm-hmm. We had uh, like 800 people in our London office. Mm-hmm. And they were working on, on backup. And supposedly the backup was in where, you know, if something happens in one site, it fails over to the other, right? So except that when they flipped the switch to fail over to London, uh, nothing happened. It didn't work. So Whoever was still alive was on the phone with the London office, giving them instructions on how to do, what to do. I mean, mm. we had to train them, you know, right. and by the seat of our pants. Wow. And um, it was tough. We got, we got space from UBS Payne Weber, who gave us space in Weehawken, New Jersey, and on Park Avenue in, in Manhattan. Now, Weehawken, New Jersey. Have you heard of Weehawken, New Jersey? No. Well, neither did I. I never heard of Weehawken, New Jersey. But you know what I found out? For me to get to work every day, I had to take a train, a bus, and a boat. Oh, my God. And you did it for how long? Nine months. Wow. Why didn't you take a car? What? Why didn't you drive? Why didn't I drive? Driving would have been insanity. Like two and a half hours each way. Yeah, it would have been ridiculous. Okay. 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 So I didn't drive. So what was it like? Um, going back and forth, no sleep, no sleep, still finding out if, if some of your colleagues that you knew are alive or, right. or, or like what, first of all, what's with your friend in the hospital? Like, did you find out what's with her? Like how she was recovering along the week? Like, could you get into it's we're in COVID we're in COVID mode. So we're thinking no one's allowed into the hospital at those times. Maybe you were allowed into the hospital. Well, I didn't know what happened to her right away, but I found out, I got a call from a reporter from Newsweek magazine who called me up and said he wanted to do, do our story. He had been talking to Virginia. Now he wanted to talk to me. So I said, oh, how is she? What's going on? 
So that's when I found out that she was okay, that she was alive and she was recuperating. Mm. And then if you, if you look up, there is a Newsweek article. It was, it was a special edition, 2001 year-end edition of Newsweek. Mm. And uh, it's got our story in it. Mm. It follows the lives of like four people. Wow. And Virginia and I, like four sets of people, and Virginia and I are one of those sets of people. Mm. So wow. that was pretty cool. I made Newsweek magazine. Um, I even got my picture in there. That's very cool. Yeah. Anyway. So Virginia's alive and well now. Virginia's alive and well. Yeah, we became good friends. Was there a, like a forgiveness process that went on, like a reflection forgiveness once, like putting everything aside? Didn't need to do that. It melted away in the fire, naturally. Uh, basically. There was no conversation about it. None at all. No going back. No, none, none of that. No, no. What she did tell me was, one of the things she did tell me was that when she did the audit on my department, she was ordered by her boss to find whatever she could find on me because it seemed that I had ticked somebody off with something and they wanted me out. Mm. And so he told her, you find whatever you can on him. And that's mm. why she gave me such a rough time. She says, but Ari, I'm telling you, when I went to report back, I told him, this guy did nothing wrong. He is straight as an arrow. There is nothing. You can't fire him. Right, right. Wow. What was it like that moment deciding? Like, did your emotions even flare up about how angry you were at her? No. It just, there was no, there was no it past was history. It was life and death surviving humans. Uh, emotions are out the window, not even there. Correct. Wow. It just shows the power of our mind, how it could just forget something that consumed, if probably consumed both of you for a while beforehand. A long time. Right. Consumed you. And suddenly it's just, it disappears. It's right. just not an option to address it. Right. That, that, that's amazing. So for, you said you didn't sleep for a month. Right. I was living on Ambien. Do you know what was replaying in your mind? Do you remember? It was just, it, it was just, you know, I, I couldn't sleep. I just, it, it was very difficult. It was a very emotional time. Well, see, one of the things that I had to do, we had a corporate card program, an American Express corporate card program in the firm where everybody got a corporate card so you can, you know, charge your expenses so you wouldn't have to put it on your personal card, right? So we, we, we had, so we had like 960 cards out there. What we needed to do now was figure out who's alive and who's dead. To cancel. Who's got what kind of a balance on the credit card? Oh. Who's paying that balance? Who's going to eat that balance? You know, every time, you know, every time we went through an account, it was like heartbreaking. Yeah. You see the guy in front of you. You see the gal in front of you. Right. And you're, you're dealing with technical stuff of money, which are, which is, sounds meaningless when the guy is dead. Yeah, basically. And it's such a painful um, process to go through. I'll tell you something that I haven't really told anybody. Maybe I did one or two, but I don't remember, but it was two years later maybe three years later, and I get a thing in the mail from American Express addressed to the guy who used to work for me. Oh my God, and he died? And it was a renewal of his American Express card. And I called up American Express and I laced into them. I said, are you kidding me? I need to live through this again because you guys are a bunch of idiots. How do you send out a renewal card for a guy who's dead, who died on 9-11. Oh, I said, yeah, 
I mean, I spent months and months and months going through who was alive, who was dead. We spent so much time getting through this. Now, all of a sudden, this, you know, I needed that. I was so ticked. I was so ticked. They couldn't stop apologizing. Right. It's those little reminders that there's no way to know how it's going to flare up the, the memory of that day. Correct. So do you wake up every morning ever since then and say, wow, I survived. I, I literally survived. Like, why me? What's my mission? What's my mission? There's a reason why God chose to, to save me and Virginia. There's a reason, like, how did your life change from then? Today's episode is sponsored by EmotionallySensitive.com. Are you struggling with overwhelming intense emotions? Check out EmotionallySensitive.com's online DBT skills course today. Again, that's EmotionallySensitive.com. So I will tell you, and I tell this to people and they laugh at me, all right? I was the same guy on Wednesday that I was on Tuesday, minus 658 friends and coworkers. But nothing had changed for me. I was the same person. What happened was, as I started to tell my story, it started to sink in. Because you were in shock. The magnitude, the magnitude of what had happened, and the fact that I got out of there, the fact that I was plucked from a burning, collapsing building given a second mm. chance, right? was literally to me something like God said to me, I'm giving you a second chance. What are you going to do with it? And that's when I made the decision that I was going to start making changes in my life, you know, studying Talmud more. My prayers were a little, were much better than they, than they had been. The biggest thing was my temper. I had a very, very bad temper. I was one of those yellers, one of those screamers. Maybe that's why they wanted to fire you. And I, no. And I said, uh, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to keep it in check. I'm not going to do that. The other thing I did was I. Wait, 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 back up. It's not something that you could do overnight. It's a temper is a temper. It's something that you have to work on for years and years and years to take down uh, 2% of your temper. And after five years, another 2%. It's not something you're like, okay, I'm not going to be, I'm, today I'm not going to be angry anymore. No, no, no. I, first of all, I disagree. Okay, so tell me, because I'm, I'm interested because I think it's very important for people to understand because it's a part of your reaction to things and reactions are emotions. So you can't just flip your emotions and say, oh, today I'm going to be very kind and not no temper. And, and Okay, so I didn't say no temper, but I, I scaled it back. In other words, I used to fly off the handle at the drop of a hat. You know, you look at me wrong, I'm yelling and screaming. It was those things that stopped or that I took control over. Remember, I mean, you should understand that. I'm sure you understand this, all right? You have no control over what happens to you, right. but you do have control over your reaction to what happens, all right? That's when you are aware of that. Most people that have a temper are not aware and they react because they're not connected. Okay, but when you're almost dead, and you were brought back to life, okay? You can make that, yeah, for me anyway. So that was your wake up. So that, that so you're like, it, everything was suddenly put into proportion right away, right away. You were kinder to, you get you cut slack. You're like, okay, let right. it go. I'm alive. It's not a right. big deal. It's just not a big deal. I'm alive. I got a chance. Be nice, be kind. The other thing I forgot to tell you was I was very, very paranoid, okay? For a while where in the morning, in the morning when I had to go to work, I used to open my front door, just barely, stick my head out, look up and down the block to see if anybody was there, if anybody was suspicious, anything going on before I walked out of my house. For years. It wasn't years, it was months. It was for months. 
that I did that. From you, that you thought it was terrorist. I, I, at one point in time, it, it was really funny because I thought that um, when I got out of the building and I managed to get to the, to the hospital and then I went to this guy's apartment, I called my wife from his apartment to let her know that I was okay. And I couldn't get through. There was, there was trouble on the lines. There was, you know, I kept getting a fast busy. And I was so paranoid. I thought to myself, you know what? They missed me at the trade center. I think they traced me over here and they're going to get me over here. Wow. It was just, wow. It was, it was crazy. It was crazy stuff. And definitely not the kind of person you were before. It's like you were more like, I got this. I missed, yeah. I, 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 no one, no one can hurt me. I'm, I'm yeah. good. I, yeah. So you, so you really had like a switch go off that day and you changed. Right. The other thing that happened was, that and this goes towards purpose, right? Because I used to, I used to, you know, I, I right after it happened, I would meet people all the time. They say, you know, that was a miracle. You got out. You know, you have a mission. And I go, yeah, okay, what is it? They go, I don't know, but you have a mission. And everybody I met was telling me about this mission. Like finally, one guy finally says, you know, you got a mission. Like what? You didn't say why did God save me? I, there must be a big. Yeah, I did. But what was my? You have a mission. Okay, great. What is my mission? Okay, and they go, I don't know. Well, then stop telling me I have a mission. So it was frustrating you because you didn't know what the mission was. Like you wanted to find something, but you, you had no idea. Like, what is my mission? Right. And then I found out what my mission was. And that was when Shifi Fox calls me up and says, can you come and speak at the Shifa Rockway dinner? We're doing a 9-11 thing. Um, and then the next day, the dean of the school calls me up and says he wants me to present to the boys because they loved what I had to say. I said, oh, I think... This is my calling mm. to tell my story, to let the world know there is a God, all right, that he saved me. He gave me a second chance and we need to make some changes in our lives in general. Okay. You know, I point to some specifics, point to general generalizations, but I firmly believe that that was my mission. And that's what I started to do. And I did it. It wasn't easy because I still worked for a living. So I had to do everything in my spare time. Mm-hmm. And and the funniest thing was funniest thing. I'll never forget. I got a call from a guy in Mexico, and he wants me to come and speak in Mexico. I worked in the bond market, fixed income group. Fixed income group was it was closed, even though the stock market was open on Columbus Day. The fixed income group was closed, so I didn't have work on Columbus Day, which was a Monday. So I arranged it with the guy that I would come on that Monday to speak. So I caught a one a.m. flight out of Kennedy, Mexico City. Oh. We went to synagogue, all right? We landed at 5.30. Somebody picked me up, went to synagogue, had breakfast, freshened up, went to speak at a school at 9, went to another school at 11, went to a third school at 1, ate lunch at 3.30, went back to the, the house where we were staying, and I took a nap until about 5, 5.36 maybe, got up, got dressed, showered, got dressed, okay. went to a community center spoke there at 8.30, got to the airport at 11 p.m. to catch a 12 p.m. flight, 12 a.m. flight. They milked you well. Was back in New York at seven o'clock, went to shul, and then I went to work. Oh my God. Talk about a mission, a mission, literally a mission. So what was the, what do you think was like the common message that you wanted to leave each speech over there? Like what was the- The common message is very, very simple. Okay, we live in a world today that is that is crazy, and today it's crazier than ever. And even back then, you know, it was with terrorism and, and with all the stuff going on in the world, it was just really, really bad. And, and we needed to change that. We need to make some changes in the world. 
But before you can change the world, you've got to change yourself. You got to start with yourself. You can't change the world unless you yourself have to do that change first. It also depended upon the audience that I was talking to, right? Because I did a lot of talking to secular Jews. And when I talk to secular Jews who don't know that much, I talk to them about keeping doing a mitzvah, mm-hmm. you know, doing one good deed, whatever it may be. And I and I always tell my audience, I don't care what it is, pick one, you know. Because mm-hmm. if you tell people they need to do 613, they get really scared, yeah. you know? But if you say, just pick one, one right. all right? And right. if you're having a trouble with deciding which one, I said, your local rabbi, he'll help you, right. you know? And you, because usually I was invited by, a, from you know, a, a, right. an Orthodox right. rabbi to, to address, right? So it was a right. Torah or Chabad, whatever. And I would say, just pick one, right? And people would come up to me afterwards because, you know, I made a decision. I'm going to do, I'm going to light candles every right. Friday night. You know, one guy told me he's going to make, he's going to make Kiddush every Friday, you know? So it was these things Wow. that, that I, that I took. and you know, I was, I knew I was doing the right thing when one of my talks, somebody came up to me after the talk and said, you know, you've changed my life. Wow. How powerful is that? Wow. And I think to myself, I have the power to change somebody's life. Are you kidding me? I don't want that responsibility, but Wow. You know, this is what this is what God had in store for me. Tell me about two things that you were different. Your temper. What was the other one? I stopped cursing. Complete till today? Till today. A clean mouth. Yep. Completely? Completely. Overnight. No, I told you it didn't happen overnight. It happened over a period of, of several months. No, but I'm saying then then it went cold to like you said, okay, I'm gonna decide and that's it. Never yeah. went back. Correct. It wasn't like, okay, first 5%, 10%, 20%. No, no, no. This is it was, You were a Kabbalah, like a decision. Yeah. And, you're, and, you, and you stuck. And, and why did you choose that? I'm curious to know why. Because, I mean, we learn about, you know, you know the Chavetz Chaim always talks about, you know, Shmirat HaLashon. It's just, it, it's not a nice thing to do, you know? And I worked on Wall Street, all right? And these guys are worse than drunken sailors. Right. I mean, the, the, the stuff that comes out of their mouths is ridiculous, right? There's a lot of stress and anxiety, and that's how they release it. I, when I started paying attention to that, I said, that's not who I want to be. And here's the amazing part, okay? While I was still working, if there was ever a meeting going on that I was invited to, whether it was in my office or in a conference room, whatever, if people saw me, nobody in that meeting would curse. They knew? How did they know? Because they all knew. Uh, they all knew Ari Sherman doesn't curse. Oh, wow. And if somebody did, by accident, blurt out a four-letter word, they would apologize. I'm, so, I'm sorry, I didn't mean it. I didn't mean it. So wow. because I made a decision, look at the effect it had on the people around me. I have chills. I have chills. I have chills. You know, uh, growing up in Israel, talking about the corporate world, I grew up very Orthodox, very, very, very Haredi Orthodox. Yeah, where? In Harnov. Oh, Okay. And we went, I went to Beisiakko, very, very Orthodox, okay? And then I go to the corporate world and then I hear Orthodox, very, very Orthodox people cursing. And I'm like, what is going on? What is going on? By the time I got married, I'm embarrassed to say it was really bad. It was really bad. And Ari did that, my Ari did the opposite. He went to Israel. He was, he said he had, he said he could have cursed like no one could. Like he had an art, he says the art of cursing. Then he went to Israel for yeshiva. And that was something that he took upon himself and he never went back. Never. I married to him almost 20 years, yeah. almost 20 years. And 
he, I cannot, I always used to say, like, you can't even say, he said, I won't, I won't. It, it, it's not attractive to him anymore. It just, right. won't. and, and, and it was a challenge for me to undo the damage right. that was done for me in the corporate world in Israel. Right. And also the words are different. Like the, 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 the meaning yeah. of the words are, everything is so different, but, but, it, but it, he taught me the power. He always says the words have power, use them for the right. good, use them Absolutely. for the good, use them for the good. That's beautiful. Did it, your kids and your wife see a difference in sure. you right away? Amazing. Amazing. Yeah. So are you happy you left the corporate world and you're no longer there? Yeah, I am. Do you feel free? Yeah. So that's another like twist to it that if not for 9-11, you would probably still be there. You know, I don't know. If not for 9-11, I might have left the firm earlier. But maybe you would have gone to a different yeah, firm. Perhaps. You would stay perhaps. in the corporate. You would know. probably stay in the... No way to know. Is it, do you still wake up with like, sounds like thoughts like do you find yourself in that are you already like it's it's 20 years it's far for, it's like far no enough. it'll never be far enough okay one of the things that i did realize way back when was um i get very frightened over loud noises mm. you know if i it just yeah. you know if i'm driving and all of a sudden somebody like honks like really loud or 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 something mm-hmm. somebody drops something or i just I jump, jump. Right. And that that and that is to this day. And it's nothing that you would want to take care of, like to say, you know what, maybe I should go to like trauma therapy to uh, you know, with all due respect, no. No. Yeah, you don't look like the guy that would do no. that. No. No. You rather live with it and learn to right. live with it and then deal with it. Right. Then deal with right. it. Right. Okay. Okay. So what's a message that you can um leave the audience besides taking a, a good deed? Like about valuing their life and the set you you talk about the bricks. How do we notice the bricks when the bricks is really there? Like, how do we not say, oh my God, why me? Like, how do we turn it around? Like, what do you tell your audience? I I basically tell my audience that, like I said to you before, the world is crazy and today it's worse than it's ever been, I think. And we really need to make some changes, but the change has to come within you first. I'm really sorry, but you have to do that. You have to make the change and figure out, like I stopped cursing, all right? So you re- you have to understand something. Um, you know, a good deed begets a good deed. And I'll give you, and I'm going to end with this because it's. It, I love this analogy. It's appropriate for when we are in, in, in like right before Rosh Hashanah. Right. But what, what, I, what I'll say is like this. Um, let's say we were in a big room, right? And everybody in the room was holding a candle, but none of the candles were lit. And I was holding my candle, right? And my candle is lit. And now I walk over to person, to person number one, and I light their candle. Is my candle diminished in any way? No. No. But is there twice as much light? Yes. Beautiful. Just, it's not great, but they're, right? But then the next person lights from them. The next person lights from them. The next person lights. And you light, you light, you light. Before you know it, guess what you've done? You've lit up a room. Beautiful. Because everybody made a decision Beautiful. that is going to affect. So you light up a room and then you light up a town and then you light up a city and then you light up a country and then you light up the world. But it has to start with your own flame. If you don't have it, you can't. <gasps> that is beautiful. That is beautiful that without your own spark, and it could start with a spark. It doesn't even need a flame spark. And then that is beautiful that you have to start and you don't, and and start small because if you go too big, you're never going to start. Right. Oh yeah. I always thought, I said, you know, it's like one of the reasons the change stuck with me was because I didn't, it wasn't like overnight, you know, 
very often, you know, somebody has a life-altering experience and the first thing they do is they go, you know, I'm going to go, you know, sit on top of a mountain. I'm going to become a monk and I'm going to, you know, spiritual, blah, blah, blah. And then two days later, they're right back to where they started from. Right. Why is that? It's the same thing with dieting, same thing with New Year's resolutions. It's all the same thing. Right. Why is that? Right. Because it has to come slow. Right. It has to come a little bit at a time. Mm-hmm. Okay. I tell people, you want to make some changes in your life. Okay. Make one small change every single day. It could be minuscule, but make the change because at the end of the year, you've done 365 things to make yourself better. Beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing your story, your, your whispers and your bricks, literally. And um, I hope people really start their own flame in order to to really ignite the world. That's a beautiful, beautiful analogy. I like that a lot. Thank you for sharing with us and thank you for your time. Thank you. Thank you for listening till the end. We highly appreciate all of our listeners. And Mental Health Together is better. You being here means a tremendous amount to us. If you enjoyed this episode and you would like some extra boost of information and inspiration that is not on the podcast, you can go to our website, hopetorecharge.com. There's some premium content that for the cost of a cup of coffee, you can download some amazing information that will help you, a tool that will guide you through life. So don't skip a beat. Don't hesitate. Go to hopetorecharge.com and see what other offerings we have there for your mental health well-being. Thank you for joining us. And remember, if you enjoyed this and you want to say thank you, the best way of gratitude will be by you leaving a review or a comment or sharing this with a loved one. There is no greater form of gratitude for us. Thank you. Bye till next time.